Hey gang, it's John. Thank you for listening to another edition of Deep Dive. This week we are welcoming back bassist Phil Spaulding to talk about that wonderful, excellent, rocking, super group, one and only, one-off album, GTR. Now, Phil has done a lot in his career. He's worked on plenty of things that you would know. In fact, I would recommend going back to episode 48. In fact, back then we did a really weird thing. I was still kind of sheepish about putting out episodes that were too long. And so we did an episode with Phil where we talked about his career and we made all the collaborations he's done a separate bonus episode that came out the next day. That was probably a dumb idea because now that's the fun part. So I think Yan and I have talked about this. We're going to go back and kind of, we did that a couple of times. We want to go back and put those episodes back together as one. But anyway, go back to episode 48, listen to my conversation with Phil, and then check out the bonus episode that came out right after that with all of his collaborations. He was picked to be a member of Steve Howe and Steve Hackett's supergroup GTR. Steve Howe's just coming off all the success of Asia. I think maybe he wants to do it again. This is the format he knows. He takes up with Steve Hackett of Genesis and the two get people like Max Bacon and Jonathan Moverman and Phil Spaulding to round out the band and they only manage one album, but it's killer. It's got When the Heart Rules the Mind, The Hunter. It's so good. So anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation. This is the whole story of how the band and the songs and the album came together and why there wasn't more. Phil is such a great man, so nice, and so good to us to talk to us like this. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, so uh, GTR, this album comes out in May of 1986. It eventually hits number 11 in the UK, in the US, and number 41 in the UK, sells over 500,000. So you, do you have a gold record for GTR? Yeah, funny enough, I was just passing it this morning, thinking about taking a photo of it, because I've been putting my my awards on Facebook recently because yeah, people have shown some interest. So uh, um, I'm just going to take a picture of it and put it up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah I do have a gold one. I've got one for Canada too. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It, um, boy, I still remember hearing When the Heart Rules the Mind on uh, a show called Friday Night Videos over here in the States. I had never heard it. I watched that show religiously every Friday. I was, you know, 13. Now, almost 13 years old when this came out. And um, I'd never heard the song on the radio, but seeing the video just knocked me out. The song is still one of my favorites, and I've turned it on to my kids, and it's one of their favorites. And, oh, and in really? Fact, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's nice. Yeah, they're uh, 12, 11, and 7. And um, every year we do this, my wife and I do the, these interviews like, what's your favorite? Who's your best friend? What's your favorite subject in school? What's your favorite thing to do? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite song? And a couple of years ago, all three of them in their interview, their yearly interview, said their favorite song was When the Heart Rules the Mind. So, oh, well, wow, that's cool. That's isn't that interesting? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All these years. Yeah, that yeah. is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. um, we touched on this when we talked before, and uh, I mean, I've read up on the story, but maybe you can summarize for us how GTR came together. My understanding is the linchpin on all of this is a guy by the name of Brian Lane, who was the manager yeah. for Yes at the time and a neighbor yeah. of Steve Hackett, right? Well, I think so. He may well have been. I mean, the thing is, is that my involvement was, more to do with the fact that they needed the bass player. I was the last one called in, mm. and Jonathan Mover knew me, 
from, well, he we'd auditioned him for Toya actually oh. in '82, and uh, also he'd had some doings with Marillion, mm-hmm. which came through me. Okay. And so when it came around to uh, them needing a bass player, uh, he suggested me, and I went down and played with them, and uh, made it first off i made it and 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 they were happy with me you know and yeah there was there was no big um auditioning process as far as the bass player was concerned you know obviously they had to play with me for a couple of days and then they they had a chat and uh went away Mm -hmm. and decided that that you know that i was okay i could make it you know so there weren't a lot of other bass players in the running Kind of no, there was nobody, nobody at all. I was the first one. So we were put together. I think that um, the two Steves had this idea about guitar, GTR. Mm-hmm. And they were free. It was post-Asia. Brian Lane thought it was a good idea. Uh, the two Steves knew each other. I don't know. I think if they'd have thought it through a little more, it's... I, it it was uh, to me it, it it became I think quite obvious in retrospect quite quickly that a band like that was too small for mm. those two guys mm. you know mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. in the same band it's um you know when I listen to the live stuff I listen to the studio stuff and um, I mean being on stage with the pair of them. They're just too monstrous, you know. They're yeah. just they're two huge players, you know. Yeah. To have them in the same band was was really really difficult. However much they tried to fit in with each other with parts and things, uh, it was. I mean, I remember standing next to Steve Hackett's rig, and and thinking he had more bass end on his guitar than I had on the bass huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow. yeah really wow. okay and you know you know and it, and it struck me and, and I thought this is huge I mean this is absolutely enormous and and you know they're not exactly the type of guys to change their sound or I think really compromise what they are right and they tried and they did try, you know. They tried very hard. Yeah. Um, but I think it was it was uh, you know two those two guys not enough room for two yeah. guys that big, you know. Really. Yeah, that's um, you know when outsiders talk about stuff like that, they always the default is to say that it was egos that these two guys' egos were too big. Do you see it as an ego issue, or is it just a matter of being able to be themselves what um does one guy feel like he's not being showcased enough what's at the heart of this you know i don't know no not egos no because neither of them strike me as like hugely egotistical people maybe they are i don't know no 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 they'll they'll work with what they've got if they can yeah you know you know it, it wasn't it wasn't egos I think that there may have been people around them that were driving an ego thing. That's more likely. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people around them that 
were benefiting, you know, financially. Right. Obviously, but I never got that off of the guys. You know. Okay. I mean, Good. I mean, I was I was as uh, pig-headed and big-headed as usual uh-huh. myself. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> I mean, I was knocked out of playing with Steve Howe. You know, a childhood hero. Yeah. Uh, really knocked out. But you know, Steve. You know, he 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 didn't give me a a, a big hero's trip on that one. Okay. You know. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember the first day when he picked me up at a bus stop close to where I was living, and I was standing there thinking, "Shit, Steve Steve Howe's picking me up." <laughs> You know, yeah, you know, yeah, from a regular, from a regular public transport bus stop, <laughs> you know, and uh, and that's that's really the only time it hit me because yeah. Steve didn't do didn't do a big trip on me, you know, he right. didn't give me the big one, yeah. you know. When I spoke to him about um, old yes days and things that I was fond of, you know, he came back at me with, you know, good stories, good explanations. Happy that I appreciated it, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, because in school you were either a yes man or a Genesis man. Right. Well, in my school anyway. Yeah. And um, I was a yes man. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm more of a yeah. yes man too. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. And, um, you know, Chris Squire influenced my bass playing, but also I think it's important for me to say that I found Yes attractive because of the harmonies, mm. the harmony nice. vocals, Yeah, you know. Oh, Steve told me wonderful stories about the madness of Yes. Oh, I believe wow, it. I, mean. I believe it. And we're friends to this day. Good. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll briefly run down. So Brian Lane had managed Yes. Obviously, Howe had been in Yes. Matt, Brian was neighbors with Steve Hackett. Hackett had mentioned to Brian that he was interested in working with Steve Howe. Brian uh, sort of put the two together. Jonathan Mover, who you mentioned was the drummer, he had been poised to work, I believe, on a Hackett solo album. And so Steve Hackett thought, why don't we get Jonathan Mover in here? Jonathan yeah. recommended you. And Max Bacon, the lead singer, had sang with a band, several bands, but one of them in particular was called Nightwing. And Nightwing had opened for Steve Hackett somewhere along the line. And so that's how everyone came together. What I am really interested in is, and I think we touched on this when we talked before, but it was several years ago now. You know, how has gone from thinking about things in terms of yes and the sort of proggy artistic whatever wherever you want to go with your muse type of music with yes to thinking about things like asia which is condensing those trips into pop music pop prog music that's very great to listen to on the radio and i wondered did he was he still thinking i think i can i'm not in asia anymore but i think i can make another commercial go at this if I started another super group and we do the same thing that we did with Asia and we try again, do you know if that's what was thinking, what his thinking was? Actually, I don't think he was thinking like that. I think they were being pressed into thinking like Uh, that. Okay. You know, they went with Arista and then, you know, there's the Clive Davis thing. 
Actually, actually, we'd already seen John Kolodner actually at one point. Oh, interesting. Um, because we they'd been speaking to um, Geffen. Okay. That's right. Yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. There was a particularly raucous dinner in a restaurant where Brian Lane actually blamed me and Max for finishing any opportunity oh. of that deal happening. Well, yeah, because we got so we got so drunk, we um, we embarrassed ourselves rather. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. drunker than drunk, and yeah. uh, uh, it's really funny because um, Ed he said to Brian Lane apparently uh, Max and I were called in. Mm. We were called in for a carpeting <laughs> the day after, and um, he said, "Well, you probably ruined." Uh, the chance of us signing with Geffen because um, um, Ed, who whatever his name was, said, "Who are you going to get to tour manage these guys? A gorilla?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if they were really in the running anyway, but it was that type of deal they were looking for, where they were looking for for rock pop singles, mm-hmm. you know, and. The whole deal at that point, as far as I understand it, was hanging on when the heart rules the mind. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, as, as a hook. Yeah. So Jeff had okay. the hunter as well. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about Jeff Downs because I don't, I mean, so for anyone who doesn't know, Jeff Downs of Asia and the Buggles produces this album. And I don't know, other than the... Mike Oldfield album that came shortly after this called Islands, which I, I can't say I'm even familiar with. I just read about it. You play on that. Uh, yeah. In fact, a lot of the GTR guys play on that. What those? That's it. He's not known for necessarily being a producer, and yet he produced this album. How did that happen? Well, I think it was all in the family. Uh, you know? Got it. Okay. Yep. Um, and, and also, I think that there were some business feelings that I certainly didn't know about at the time. Now, this is only speculation. Okay. And allegedly, if you like, I think there was some alleged business feelings that Jeff was involved in which kind of necessitated him being involved in this way. Mm. He had also, uh, what was that super duper keyboard? You, um, one of the first processing sampling things. Um, yeah. The thing that followed the Fairlight. Um, uh, he had one of those and um, it was quite important, apparently, mm. that um, we have that and use it. Whereas me, little me, with my little voice, uh-huh. kept saying, hey, we've got all this money, you know, why don't we hire a house somewhere and buy all the studio equipment, make an album, and then sell the studio equipment again. Mm-hmm. But I sort of learned quite quickly that, um, I, you know, they, they didn't really want to want to hear us, you know, uh. not, re- not, not really, you know, in, in lots of ways, actually. Huh. Uh, okay. which is un- unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Very unfortunate. Now, Max, I had read that Max felt like the overall album was way too lightweight. He, in his mind, I guess, <clears throat> thought he was making a much harder driving rock record and felt like the GTR album was too soft. 
Do you know anything about that? Did you feel similarly? I think what we didn't exploit, which I know we exploited in rehearsals, was the prog rock mm. aspect of what we had. And I, I know I said before we were being pushed towards, I think, pop rock singles, you know, like yeah. the age in the age of vein. Sure. But it was very evident in rehearsals when we were putting things together that there was, in, the, in this group of people, there was a great progressive rock band that wasn't really, um, it wasn't really produced like that. Mm. You know, there was, um, and maybe, I don't know, you know, uh, Max, Max has got a point, I suppose. But there again, you know, Max, I mean, he was at the, the sharp edge of it all. You know, his vocals, I mean, his vocals carry Mm -hmm. most of the stuff that we did mm -hmm. you know and we and we got to to also exploit our love love for backing vocals yeah you I think we did a fantastic job on the on the backing vocals we did, did. some great bvs yeah um which i do have on the tape acapella somewhere one day somewhere i'll dig them out and get them on youtube nice um yeah but that was that was nearly all me and matt that with with Jeff pitching in okay that aspect of the record you know we were I'd say not trying to but we found a kind of balance somewhere between Queen and the Beach Boys yeah yeah good you know with those with those BVs yeah the BVs on when the heart was aligned I mean even on the even on the outro you know when we're changing bits and pieces mm -hmm. we were doing that way into the night you know Really? We were, yeah, way into the night. Yeah, yeah. You could, yeah. You know, we had to be surgically removed from that studio. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Queen were next door. They so, were. You know. Yeah. So there was, you know, no excuse to go home. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wild. <laughs> Wild. So uh, okay. So when the heart rules the mind, it's the first single. It hits number fourteen in the states. Um, as I mentioned, I, it, there's, there was never anything else quite like it. Even the those big Asia hits weren't five and a half minutes long. The When yeah. the Heart Rules the Mind feels like it's got elements of at least two or three other songs in it. 
that middle part with the timpanis, bum, 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 you know, that yeah. whole part is just so different, but it works. And it, uh, it, it sounds like it should be sort of a strange curio and yet it's not, it's a great pop rock song. And, and apparently it was written by the two of them, by the two Steves within the first 24 hours of deciding to work together. They, they came up with that and thought, yeah, okay, we can do this. You know, that's kind of a miracle. Yeah, it is. And also, it's, um, I think, on the other side of things, I'm sorry that we didn't have maybe a similar follow-up. Yeah. Or something a little closer to it. I mean, I love The Hunter. I mean, Uh you know, I mean, I, I love The Hunter. But the hunter uh, bombed yep. because we've got Mohammed in the lyrics. Mm. Mm. It's, I, uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you get that or not, but, I but don't. you know, <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, yeah, but well, yeah, but I, I think that that considering America and all the rest of it, and I know it's over 30, 30 years ago, uh-huh. but there's the line uh, where. Max sings um, something, something, something to the great Mohammed. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah! And, I don't know. I never yeah. picked up on that before, huh? And appa- apparently, that 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 screwed us. That, really? That, that 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 lyric, yeah, on that second S- verse, yeah. So I will admit, I've always thought the Hunter was an odd second single off of the album. It's a it's a nice song. It's a little heavy and sort of I don't know. Um, dark, kind of proggy. Uh, to me, that would have made more sense as maybe a third single. You come out with When yeah. the Heart Rules the Mind, people are being turned on to you. You hit them yeah, with another yeah. rocker, which there are several on this album you could have picked from, and yeah, just yeah. Insane, like, this is what we're about, and then you hit them with The Hunter. You know? Yeah, and I yeah, felt like that's yeah. where it went wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 then, then it follows that Maybe this is why, why you know, why the second single had to be Jeff's, you know? Yeah. Had to be Jeff's song. That was Jeff's song. 
Um, it was, uh, I mean, over 50% of the recording is Jeff's original recording. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We couldn't get real drums on it, on the record. We got we got real bass on the record, which mm. is good. Yeah. Uh, which, which, yeah, yeah. And um, I know they messed around with lots and lots of uh, uh, guitars as well uh-huh. Uh-huh. on it. And it's, it's really a showcase for Max's voice more than anything. Yeah, well, a lot of songs on this album are, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on that because there are some, he has some brilliant moments on here. You all do, but he does especially. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, what was the thinking there? Why, was it, was uh, somebody doing someone a solid? You had mentioned sort of behind the scenes business deals going on that may have been the reason why Jeff came in to produce. Was it part of, was it stipulated that he had to have this song on the album too, or... Were you were you guys just did you like it and think sure we'll put that on or was it an arrangement? Why is it there? I have no idea, John. Okay. I have no idea. And also, um, I would have thought that Clive Davis and the guys at Alistair would have known what they were doing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yep. You know those guys. I mean, look what they've done over the years. Look what Clive Davis has done over the years. I mean, yep. you know the guy. You know, I would say most of the time does know what he's doing. Right. I really don't know, you know, no. because they went to the pain in the ass of of making that big expensive video for it, which yeah. we had to do while we were on the road. It's funny because, you know, I never considered what you're saying until this moment. Now we're talking about it. Really? Yeah. No, I ah. never, never, I never thought, I never thought, I never, never considered it at all, you know. I know for the when we were demoing and writing for the second album, Max and I came up with some a, a couple of great pop rockers, you know, yeah. that would be right out of the Bon Jovi songs. Nice. You know, I mean, yeah. really, yeah, yeah, we yeah we really did, and we we worked hard and in in good faith, except that we weren't really a big part of the publishing mm. um, uh, deal and the business. And I think that the stuff we had was overlooked because it basically it was written, it, wa- it wasn't written by Stephen Steve, yeah. you know, yeah. which is un- unfortunate. You know, I mean, I've right. got one bouncing through my head right, right as, as we speak, which... Huh. Which which could have which could have followed when the heart rules the mind. Funnily enough, even yeah. though we hadn't written it at that point, but right. um, and and it became evident, as I said, as things went on, that they didn't really want our contributions yeah. in that respect. I could so, see that. So track three, here I wait. Speaking of songs that could have been a worthy follow-up, but that could have been the second single right there. Here 
it's a great killer. It, it's got these great licks in it. Max sounds fantastic. Um, you sound really good in there as well. You get some nice moments. It's got kind of an Asian intro to the song. When uh, I mentioned earlier about, and you did, you touched on this just now too. Do you know how the Steves wrote together? Were they, was it through jamming? Was it because you know you could tell from their that their styles aren't exactly the same. So is it them in a room trying to find ways to work together? Is it, uh, do they look for your input? How does it work? Our input. Really? Uh, okay. The only, yeah, the only complete songs, to the best of my knowledge, that we had before we started recording, complete songs now I'm talking about, were The Hunter, and toe the line. Okay. okay. All the others were stuff that the guys came up with through us in rehearsals, and then we just messed about with it until we come up with the final version. Okay. I mean, and this is where I would say I'd be quite right, and it, let's say even righteous in saying that I think the other, the, the other three guys, Max, John and myself, I think we could have been credited more yeah. With, yeah. With, uh, on, on the writing side of things. Because uh, we, we did, I mean, if you want to, I mean, what, you know, what is writing and what is arranging? I mean, right. it's, it's, it's the eternal question, is it? Yeah. You know, yeah. we did lots and lots of stuff on those songs, which which you could say, oh, okay, well, we mm. arranged a middle bit or did, did we write a middle bit or whatever, whatever yeah. whatever it would, was deemed as. Right. As it was, they had to give us something, so we got one-third of one song each. I noticed that. I was going to ask you about that specifically. I noticed each one of the other guys get a co-writing credit on one song we haven't come yeah. to those yet but i'm gonna so table that because i want to ask you more about that when we get there um let me just say for for people's sketches of in the sun track four is the steve howe showcase and it's beautiful i prefer this one to steve hackett's
Now, Steve Howes is just him for the most part. Do you yeah. know how um, how much thought from a band perspective went into these solos? Did Steve say, I'm just going to go in a room by myself and record this? I don't need anybody else. Is that how that worked? Or was that something he had laying around? Do you know? No, no Steve's writing constantly. Every second he's awake, Steve Howe is, okay. is writing something or another. And I think the way it worked was for each Steve, they were going to show the public what they did as individuals, not what they did within the concept of the band. That 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 was meant to show, um, you know, what what how you know what Steve Howe is, mm -hmm, if you like, mm -hmm. and um, Steve Hackett 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 a bit which I, I played on, which had mm -hmm. some very challenging parts on, that was meant to show more what, what he was about. Yeah. They were, I think, intended to be separate separate parts, yeah, separate yeah. bits showing what those guys were about as individuals, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember any discussion about who gets to be on side A and who gets to be on side B? Do you, was that, you know, is that a political discussion at all? No, not at all. That would have been record company. Okay. And whatever the record company thought was best to sell the records. Um, I think there was lots and lots of that because we used to meet these guys, especially in the States, obviously, all over every region. And we'd meet some, some plugger or pusher yeah. or someone or another who was doing all the radio stations. And, and uh, that, that would be a record company thing. Mm. So... It would certainly wouldn't come across. Uh, we'll put in front of be put in front of me myself. Yeah. Okay. Most, I just wondered. I wondered if you, you know, is it a band thing where you're all in a room working on the sequencing together, or is that is that between the two Steves and Jeff, or uh, and then who decides what goes where? You know. Well, I think sequencing wise, I think we all had a say because I know how much. Uh, effort and energy I put into the album personally so you know the guys it's with regards to Steve and Steve they would listen to good sense when they heard it mm. you know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. they weren't they weren't like you know ruling with a with yeah. with, with like an iron fist or anything okay. you know you know for example they did let Max and I really take hold of the BVs and shape the the backing vocal aspect of the album, which you can hear. I mean, I think it's, it's really quite wonderful. And that was really produced by Jeff. And then mostly, unless Steve or Steve had a particular idea, they would add their voices to what we had mostly already recorded. And we mm -hmm. were doing like multi-tracking, 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 you know, massive yeah. multi-tracking, you know. Yeah. You know, I think about Here I Wait, you just said it, you know, there's like, it's uh, elements of, of uh, well, exactly what I said, I think, Queen and the Beach Boys, you sure. know. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, you know. Okay. Jeff had, a, Jeff had a, a lot of input as well, because late into the night, when it was me and Max at the studio and everyone else had gone home, we're starting to talk about midnight onwards, mm. um, you know, the real dark hours, you know, when yeah. we were probably doing 
lots of things that we shouldn't have been doing um, (laughs) and uh, and, and getting rather creative. Yeah, yeah, they they were the the hours when it would be me, Max and Jeff and we'd be creating these wild ideas and Jeff had some really good ideas. He had a lot of good input there. You know, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, last song on side one, Jekyll and Hyde. This is my second favorite song on the album. love this tune speaking again of other songs that could have been a worthy follow-up single i love the bombast after every chorus when the band kicks in right after max you know sings yeah yeah. am i mr hyde or whatever and then the band kicks in on these really epic runs it is sounds so great i was listening to the i've been listening to this album a ton to get ready to talk to you and my daughter walked through the room the other day and she said, is this the Jekyll and Hyde song? And I said, yeah, this, that's it. Now keep in mind, my, like I said, my daughter's 12 and she's grown up listening to GTR her whole life wow. pretty much. And she says, you know how I can tell this is Jekyll and Hyde? She said, because the beginning of the song starts out kind of soft and then gets hard. And I always think the soft part is Jekyll and the hard part is Hyde. And I thought, what a, I'm so grateful that my kid is smart enough to figure something like that out. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is quite yeah. amazing, and I love that part too. Is that, and the thing is, is that the what you're talking about about the bombast between Max's vocals are: I, am I Mr. Jekyll or am yes. I Mr. Hyde? I was very impressed with Steve Hackett's part. Uh, he did a lot. He he did. He came up with guitar inversions on that. And I'm actually quite proud of uh, my bass part because yes. I had to find the bass part, which also fitted it, it, which grooves and also fits with the inversions and goes with the main chords and stuff yes. like that and that's why that's one of my favorite parts actually you know as well yeah. yeah and you're right yeah that could have been a single yeah 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 it um you know i know the focus of this band or the you know the sound bite or the tagline or whatever that the two great steves are coming together but Really, yeah. all of you guys get chances to shine on this album. Everyone sounds fantastic. I mean, it's not a, it's not just a Steve showcase. It's everybody together, and you wouldn't necessarily think that in an album that's meant to be, you know, the Hackett and the How coming together. But you guys sound fantastic together. 
it's a shame it couldn't have lasted longer. Yeah, the, the reasons it didn't last longer weren't necessary necessarily musical either. Mm, yeah, I'm sure. I'm uh, sure they were more to do with uh, business and other outside interests. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's something that that you know I I don't know that much about. I mean, going into 1987, I just lost a baby boy. Um, yeah, oh. yeah, he was born. He was actually he was born. He was born oh. and died. So at, at that point, with the band going the way it was and the rest of it, I mean, I was very very messed up. I can tell you. You know, I was hitting the bottle and hitting the powder pretty hard. Um, and so a lot of this was all going on around me while I was, like, like trying to unsuccessfully cope with this trauma in my life. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So so a lot wow. of it's very, very hazy for me. I mean, I know I was yeah. there and I can remember I was there. I remember things that happened and stuff. But, but a lot of the details are very hazy because... Well, I, I was so traumatized. I just, I yeah. just didn't want to live at that point, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's odd, really, because you know this was going on, and um, I didn't <laughs> actually. I felt more sorry for myself because I didn't get that much support from my bandmates either, because yeah. they were mm -hmm. going through the band thing. Yeah. The one person who did support me, who I'll be forever thankful to was Brian Lane. Really? Interesting. Now, yeah, yeah. I know he I know he'd done a lot of things business wise that, that, that were you know, that were the way Brian does business, let's put it that way. Okay. But he did support me through the trauma of uh, of of our loss. Things like Brian came up with the with the money so I could have a proper funeral, things like Ooh. that, you know? Oh, you know, wow. you know that that's a big deal, you know. And then wow. for whatever else is Brian Brian uh, did or has done, I'll never forget that. That was a yeah. kindness that that he didn't have to show, but he wow. did. Wow! And I Amazing. think that's because of his own family background. He understood, you know. Jeez! Huh. You know, so so there you I go. No well, that's something the pub the public doesn't know. <laughs> no so, kidding! Oh my gosh! Wow! I had so, no idea. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Print away. It's fine. It's okay. a long time ago now. You know, I'm yeah. sort of come to terms with it. Uh, took me a long time, but you know. Yeah. So. Wow. How old was your child when they died? Uh, one day. One day. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Wow. Only one day. Wow. I'm sorry. No, it was all right. Well, it happened on a. On a on a on a New Year's Eve, and he died on a New Year's Day, so that's quite a significant time uh -huh. anyway. Yeah. So that that particular holiday every year is quite significant for me, and uh, yeah, I still generally go to bed and go to bed early and yeah. try and forget about it and sleep the night through and just get up on New Year's Day. And uh, it was the it, that was the end of my marriage, by the way. Uh, really? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the end. I mean, there was seven. We 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 had seven long, painful, angry years mm. together after that. Yeah, that was all happening while that, while the band was in the, the the future. of The band was in the balance, you know. Yeah, so yeah, 
So, but anyway, wow. moving wow. on. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's move on. Um, that's it. My son is born on New Year's Eve too. Thankfully, he's um, 11 years old and doing okay. But anyway. Okay, track six. We turn the record over. It's the first, side on so- first song on side two. You can still get through. another yeah. killer killer rock song great percussion going on there's even some finger snaps you can hear yeah. in the background on on parts of this song it just it it just drives and moves it is so fantastic do you sing backup on this do you sing backup throughout the whole thing because the backup oh, yeah, specifically yeah, yeah. on this that, are yeah, really that good was my, that was that was uh, pretty largely my arrangement i would really? say that uh, i'd like to take credit for yeah, it's, uh, three three quarters of the arrangements of the BVs on that record easily. You know, nice. and Max followed me. Max was behind me. He knew, as I said, you know, people knew, you know, with good sense when to follow a good idea. And yeah. uh, obviously, I was really into BVs. I'd I'd done uh, uh, lots of uh, BVs in the studio. I'd been hired a lot as a backing vocalist and more okay. as an arranger actually. And you can still get through is one of those ones which is great. It's got a, a semitone, uh, a, a two notes going on a semitone apart from oh. each other right at the very, very end. Wow. One thing about that record is that um, Jeff came up with the percussive idea for the drums. And again, the real drums, I don't think anyone felt that the real drums really made it. Um, huh. And not 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 because of anything lacking in Jonathan. Right. It's just that it worked a lot better with the machine drums. It worked a lot better, you I know. And it's the same that. as it's the same as the bass on the verses. Is um, let's just think about it. Yeah, the bass is. Yeah. You know, I should have better listen to this. Actually, I'm just trying to think about the bass. Uh, uh, bass. We'll get to. Yeah. Someday you're gonna find. Ah, yeah. And that's where Hackett came through again. Steve Hackett was great with inversions on chords, like making other chords out of the same chord, essentially. If if that makes any sense. Okay. I think he comes through great on the chords of that. 
and it's another one where the uh, backing vocals again were they sound they sound straightforward, but but they re- they they really weren't. There's some there's some notes of, that I had to dive around between that were most unnatural, really, and that we that we had to work on a lot. And we got there, and I think again, I'm very, very proud, very proud of that track as well. It Good. does, it's, yeah. Uh, it's a it's a great riff, a great um, it is a, a a great riff, great riff for a pop a pop rock single, I think. And again, Max sings, Max Max kills sure that does. track, you know. He sure does. Yep. Okay, track seven. Uh, reach out, never say no. This one you have a co-writing credit on. This one also just kicks off with these fantastic guitar stabs. Excellent bass. Your bass is killer in this. Such excellent breakdowns. You mentioned earlier about the kind of diplomatic way of giving everyone a third and a third. I should mention Max got a co-writing credit on Jekyll and Hyde. Did you, Is are they real? Did you actually you know, contribute enough to get a co-writing on this or was it sort of... Oh, that one, yeah, yeah, I wrote the... Well, it's think write it is the better word. I kind of borrowed the lick is like it's like uh, life in the fast lane, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah, I I wrote that and then I wrote the inversions because we we didn't want a song that just went e a e a e a. So so I I wrote the inversions to to cover the fact that it actually went from the one to the four all the time by doing uh, E to the C sharp to the B to the A and then back down to the E. But I didn't realise it at the time, and I really didn't realise, but that's really close to life in the fast lane. Yeah, now that you say that, um, I hear it, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm surprised we never ever got a call, but I mean... uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, maybe we'll get a call after this interview. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's a that that uh, that sort of completes a run of just fantastic rock songs happening on this yeah. album. I I yeah. love it. Um, okay, tr- the third song on side two, "Toe the Line." This is where it all kind of slows back down again, sort of in a hunter kind of fashion. 
Just a double-edged sword We try to keep ourselves detached It's clear who holds the key Drifting through the age of reason Now you're washed up on the shore So the softer, folky, uh, almost sounds like it has some Celtic influence in it. In fact, I was thinking the one thing this song doesn't have is bagpipes, and you would think that yeah. it, it might, you know? <laughs> it kind of yeah, would have yeah, fit yeah. right in. Well, that would have been, that, as I said, Steve would have had that song written whole. That was, mm-hmm. that was, that was written wholly. All we had to do was learn it and perform it and find parts for it. Okay. And it was pretty simple. Live, uh, Max used to sing it, and then I think I used to maybe pick up the second verse. I think I can't remember quite how we did it. But that Steve would have come to the studio with that song as a song. Mm. Okay. You know, you know, yeah. if he was if he was given a song that way, um, I don't know. Are they co-credited? Uh, no, that's just a Hackett and Howe song on that oh, one, Okay, yeah. so there, that is a Hackett, there, it's a Hackett and Howe song. So that's mm-hmm. like a, a, a Lennon and McCartney yeah, thing, isn't okay, it? So, so, uh, yeah, but that, But um, no, Steve, 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 I remember he came to the studio with that song. Okay. Uh, pretty much complete, yeah. Oh, yeah interesting. Yeah, yeah. And once again, it's a fantastic Max performance. And I was thinking while I was listening to this song that it's sad that of the five of you, Max is the one who's had kind of the slowest actual music career because he sounds fantastic there's no reason this guy shouldn't have been singing everything all the time you know yeah well he, he did i know he had some uh interest um from sticks uh, oh, when they needed to replace tommy shaw and uh for one reason or another he didn't take it now i don't know whether it's because uh, the I know that I know that I'm sure the business was uh, was fine in yeah. that respect. Okay. So I, I think I'm pretty sure I can say that. I think that was a decision that Max made. Max was getting pretty pissed off with the music business. Mm-hmm. You know, he he wasn't sort of hanging in there with the highs and the lows. There's a lot of lows, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can't be. You know, even for the biggest even for the biggest stars in the world. I mean, you know, I mean, all the money in the world doesn't save you from emotional lows, you know? Yeah, yep. Um, there were there lots of lows, and, and I think that, that Max found it quite difficult to negotiate. 
the highs and the lows. And, you know, and the, and the rest of us have, have, uh, have, have hacked on. I mean, to use a funnily, you right, know, a, right. almost a pun in that way. Yeah. Um, also, I got Max involved with uh, my Coalfields oh, uh, material. Good. And he said that his, his experience in my Coalfields was the best experience he'd ever oh, had in the music nice. business. Good. Yeah. 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 He said that. Um, because uh, Mike was really great to work with. I mean, as you know, I've worked with him for yep. eight years, and yep. he was great. And and he always looked after you. I mean, Good. as in, he looked after you as a person. He also looked after you financially. Um, and I know that Max, I, if he hears this, he won't disagree with me. That he'll 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 tell anyone that his oh. best experiences in the music businesses but with my coalfield that's great um and i think he found the dtr business uh with, 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 you know something which had so much promise yeah um i think he found it very very painful to mm -hmm. to accept the way it went in the end you know yeah yeah he i believe you mentioned before does he run a pub or something like that now no, I think he's pretty much retired on his uh, his ill-gotten gains. You know, really? um, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's, uh, he's he still owns one and has it managed for him, and uh, he just sits down in his villa in Spain picking up profits. You know, oh, good for him. <laughs> good for him. Yeah, he's okay. That's yeah, great. We're friends, we're mates, we're in touch. You know, he good. keeps saying to me to get my ass down to Spain, and I'm going to do it sometime. And oh, that's we've fantastic. seen each other sporadically over the last few years but that's what he decided to do i think that you know he he sort of came to this decision that he wasn't going to make his fortune out of the music yeah. business okay in lots of ways you know yeah. that's a, you know that, that's a realistic outlook actually right you know yeah if you're look, looking at it from the point of view of you know You've got all this talent that's going here, there, and everywhere, but you don't have any um, have anything to show for it. You know, yeah. yep. maybe that's just, just what it, uh, what was right for him. So you know, he's he's made his money buying and running pubs and and building apartments and renting them out and yeah. stuff like this. And okay. yeah, he's yeah he's done okay for him for himself. He's 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 done, he he's I think he's happy with his position Good. in life. I hope yeah, so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. He deserved, he deserved more, but I'm glad he figured it out. Um, I want to yeah. say that he also, I remember watching the When the Heart Rules, Rules the Mind video and thinking he looked like Howard Jones. I don't know if that means anything <laughs> to anyone, but I just remember at the time thinking, this looks like Howard Jones with a more business-type haircut. That's a uh, Yeah, yeah, with a, more, with a more, yeah, yeah. I, know? Think, I don't know. I think everyone was on that Mr. Mr. Trip at the time. They were, yes, you're right, you're right, yes. You, you know, like kind of almost sort of semi-smart, cool, <laughs> right. sort of cool, casual-looking stuff, you know, clean-cut. Right. Clean-cut guys who look like they'd had a really good college education, you know. Yeah. And yet, 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 you know, and yet, um, you know, I mean, I was a total drug addict. There yeah, you go. Well, I mean, <laughs> and I'd had a good education as well. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those funny that one, though. The drugs but, uh, don't yeah, care what your upbringing about, was. <laughs> no, no, but Max, yeah, you're right. Max, Max deserved them. Um, I think, you know, he, he, he could have had a solo deal and... Yeah 
because, you know, he he could have been, um, you know, Michael Bolton or someone. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know, he, he really could have done, you know. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, okay, second to last track, Hackett to Bits. Again, this is the Steve Hackett Showcase. Got, this is more of a band thing than Steve Howe's showcase was earlier. Um, I uh, I was so if this is too touchy of a question, you tell me. But I'm curious. Let's say that Steve Hackett and Steve Howe separately call you today and say, "Phil, I want you to come out on the road with me and work on a new album." Whose call are you more likely to take? Well, uh, Steve Howe's. Okay. Uh, that's not um, personal. That's because really I get on musically far more easily with Steve Howe. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm I've, I've been I'm on his new his latest. You know, he had this um, uh, discography from the past uh, set. He had this yeah. triple CD out, and now now he he took some of our archives and put them on the on the record and called me up we negotiated equal publishing rights good and he paid me some advances you know nice. he didn't have to do that yeah you know yeah. he really didn't have to do that i mean um steve hackett i'd like to work with him probably because i probably didn't get the opportunity back in the day to really explore any kind of working relationship with mm. him Mm-hmm. That would be my my reason there, but I mean he's out there with his Genesis show and he's doing very well with it. And you know, good luck to the guy. You know, I mean, you know, he's still lots of people want to see it, which is great. Yeah. But if either of them called me, for me, it would have to be Steve Howe, really. Okay. okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it sounds like that decision would not be made on like you know personalities being hard to deal with or whatever. It's strictly a musical. A musical yeah. decision, and you like playing yeah. with Steve Howe more. Okay. Yeah, it'd be musical. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Steve. There's, there's no, there's no barrier. I don't, I don't feel like there are any barriers with Steve. You know, uh-huh. I, I, I can go down to him where he lives out in the, in the wilds. He really does live in the wilds. I mean, you've almost got right. to have a four by four to get to his place. <laughs> I tell you, I mean, he seriously is like, yeah, yeah, right. You know, he's it. seriously protected where he is. You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but you know. He trusts me enough to let me know where he lives, and I can go down there. I can stay with him. We can jam for a few days. We can, you know, we can whatever talk about old times. 
uh, I always go and see yes if I'm around and they're yeah. knocking around I go and see them and there's a there's more of a bit more of a warmth there I would say and it's and as I said it's not personal it's more due to the fact that that I never really developed mm. anything with Steve Hackett yeah. you know okay uh, and Steve, Steve Hackett also had a separate manager when DCR uh, were okay were operating and I don't know how much that had to do with separating him from the rest of the group. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I just thought that would be an interesting question to find out which way you would lean. Um, yeah. I'll see how any, any day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. The last song imagining this is the last, the longest song in the album. has kind of a slow intro and then builds up it almost sounds to me like a song that could be in a spy movie or something like that you know it's got kind of a darkness to it and um but then it sort of turns into another prog rock song uh jonathan yeah, mover the drummer song. yeah has a yeah, co-writing yeah. credit on this one so this is his contribution supposedly or whatever to the uh to the band was um any interesting stories or uh, you know, recollections relating back to imagining? Well, imagining uh, Jonathan's contribution is kind of really the same as mine. We both did the middle section together, uh -huh. the James Bond section. Right. You know, the, the well, I call it the James Bond section. That's it. Yeah. Da 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 there's a bar there's a bar with a beat extra in there somewhere I don't know mm. and so we probably could have both got it except that you know John John that was you know they thought well we're going to give one to Phil we're going to get that one and we'll give that one to John you know mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. John definitely contributed to that, that song you know he contributed a lot to that song Good. Uh, but like most of them it's like the inverted chords at the end you know ah. when we when we go out before they go into the acoustic guitar section and Max is singing Imagining, the chords going over the outro, they're, they're my chords, you know? So really? What are they? Am I, have I written the chords or have I just arranged that part of the song? You know? Yeah. There, there yeah. you go. Right, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a question, that's the question. You know, it's easy to say, oh, well, you know, it was just this, I arranged that part of the song, you know? I mean, it says... Uh, I think it's what I'd say these days. I wouldn't want to get sort of resentful about little bits of yeah. rock songs that that uh, that we recorded thirty 
35 years ago this year. Right. But but it's interesting because I thought, ah, this would be great to change these things here because we can lose the riff, the main riff. We can lose the main riff. We've had lots of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then go into this, I thought it was more kind of, uh, if I may say so, I think it was that that's a bit more like the police. Ah, okay. You know okay. about like like the police when 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 Stuart Copeland would 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 pick up the kit and you know go into four four as opposed to then doing mm-hmm. half time if mm-hmm. when Stuart Copeland just double up time, that's the way I felt that part. Mm. And uh, I think the song's in B, so B minor. So yeah. so we sing imagining yeah. B minor E A B minor. They're definitely my chords, and I swear I'll, I'll go. I'll go to the chopping block if any if anyone disagrees with me. I'll tell huh. you. <laughs> wow! I'll go to the guillotine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, but but you know, but you know, they were as I said, they were seen as as arranging things, and also it's like you know, you're really excited. You've got to remember, we did this before all the Rasmus ads have taken off. You know. Yeah. We're in rehearsal rooms. We're really excited. You know, I'm playing, starting to play in a band, which has obviously got invitations to America, which is going to be new for me. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I'm not thinking about writing the credits. Mm, true. You know, I, I really wasn't thinking about that sort of thing. I was just glad to be there and playing and help, yeah. help helping the guys make, trying to make a record, you know. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, Okay, well, that's the album. I think, uh, from what I understand, there was Hackett Leaves, and I think Jonathan Leaves, and a guy named yep. Nigel Glockler comes in on drums. Glockner, and... he plays yeah for Saxon. He's Saxon's right. drummer to this day. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friend of mine. Yep, that's right, because he had been with Toya as well. And yeah, then uh, yeah. Robert Barry comes in, and you guys make a go at a second album. I think it's called Nero Trend, or you're band is called Nero Trend or whatever but it doesn't ever get off the ground no Nero Trend okay let's get this straight if anyone's listening Nero Trend was the name of the off the shelf company that Brian Lane picked up to process the last advance that Arista gave us because the previous company had been bankrupted by then so Nero Trend isn't the name of a group or an album it's the name of a, of an off-the-shelf company, huh. okay, that was used to process $200,000. Okay. Okay? <laughs> there was no name. All the bits and pieces that you hear are various songs that some of them were Robert Berry's, some of them were ours, some were done at Steve's, some had Jonathan playing on them, some had Nigel playing on them, some had Max singing on them. Max appropriated some of them for his album he put out subsequently. Mm-hmm. And I think he got sued by Steve Hackett, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, for something or another. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. And I, I think so. I don't know. I, you know, again, right. I, I don't, no one's going to chase me about this shit. You know, it's, not, <laughs> it's, it's unimportant, really. But because Arista needed GTR to carry on as a, as a, as a band with two guitarists, But what we didn't know, what we didn't know was Brian Lane was playing Robert Berry with Keith Emerson as well. Oh. You know, so they could get that um, Emerson, 
was it Emerson, Palmer, and Berry? What was yeah. it? Three, 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 three. Three, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was playing that. He was playing Robert Berry in any sense of the word where he could find and get a deal. Huh. So that's how three came about. Okay. Wow. Yeah, uh, because um, Arista couldn't accept us carrying on without having the two star guitarists. Okay. You know, you know. Yeah. yeah, You know. That's the hook. Um, They didn't want to lose the hook, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and by that time, Steve Hackett, I think, was would was just really fed up with the whole affair and wanted to move on. And you know, and funnily enough, that was the last time I saw him. Oh, actually, wow. clapped eyes on him. Interesting. Yeah, I keep meaning to go and see him play live someday and uh, so say hi, Steve. Hey, great <laughs> to see you. I'm not mad anymore. <laughs> Wow. Oh man! Oh God! I mean, he God, he was. I, I see. He saw the, the, the. He saw some real peaks of my madness. I can I promise you. Oh, poor guy! Oh, poor oh, guy! Boy. Really, <laughs> I, I really. When I see him, I think I've actually got to say sorry to him more than anything. Maybe. You're. Yeah, uh, isn't yeah, that part yeah. of recovery? Is going back and making amends for. Yeah, um, yeah. I oh, well, it's yeah. a constant thing making amends. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you, you know, you've got to. You know, making amends to my kids is a lifelong thing. My mum is a lifelong thing, and and then you know, you never know whose toes you're going to tread on from day to day, do you? True. You know. No, you so, don't. but hopefully, today so far, I'm pretty sure I've not hurt anyone today. Good. There you go. So Good you know, for you. and uh, I'm sorry you had to try so many times to get hold of me. By the way, because I say I've. I am at a friend's, and we're sort of in a in a we were in a little bit of a recovery mode. Got it. And we must he must be feeling better. He's getting he's getting the family photos out. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, no, yeah. I really appreciate you being willing to do this. I mean, it took us about a year to make it happen, but we got it done, and I'm That's really right, grateful. John. So thank you That's for right. talking with me. I um I love your work, man, and I'm really grateful that you've given me time. It means a lot. If I thought that the kid when i was 12 and i was seeing that video and just thinking this band is so great these guys look so cool and to think i know that guy now is uh it makes my it improves my life so thank you if anything you've done a lot of good good things today thank you that's great no no and uh and to have survived and be talking to you this this very day you can't imagine how grateful i am i believe to be here and it. and to be remarried and happily remarried to a beautiful woman, yeah. and I mean in so many respects, but um, and and she's hot as well. Oh my god! <laughs> good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for me. And why yeah. not? I deserve it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, there you have it, Phil Spaulding and GTR. I love this album. If you don't have it, I mean, you probably don't because the Asia album sold millions and GTR did well, but not nearly as well. If you own those Asia albums and you don't own GTR, you owe it to yourself to get it and get the deluxe version. I have it. It's two discs. It includes a, includes a live concert that is fantastic. This, this album is so good and it is well, well, well worth your uh, time and attention. Anyway, huge thank you to Phil for coming back and talking to us again. We love him over here. 
Uh, we've got a couple more deep dives in the can. We've got another bonus episode coming. We got more on the way, more in the pipeline. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Thanks, everybody. We love you. <laughs>